If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6, and in a moment, you know this, we will put it on the screen, but a lot of you like to have it in your lap open, so please do that, Matthew chapter 6, we'll get there in a second. I've got a friend, this is really a true story, not a preacher exaggeration, but I have a friend who, uh, many, many years ago, he went to New Zealand, I think because God was calling him there, to be a part of a worship training school. He's a worship leader, and in New Zealand, uh, he got involved in a church there as a part of the worship training, and had an opportunity to be a part of a really big wedding they had. And you know how weddings work. I did one here uh, yesterday. But the bride is, of course, really important. She has to make about 4,764 decisions before her wedding day. And one of those was the right cake and then the right inscription on the cake. And she wanted one of her favorite verses, which is pertinent to our sermon series on fear. She wanted 1 John 4.18 on the cake. It says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. But there was a mistake. Instead of 1 John 4.18, they put John 4.18, which says, The fact is, you have now had five husbands, and the man you now have, he is not your husband. So we want to forget about John 4.18 today. Just kind of get that out of our mind and focus on 1 John 4.18. Let that be sort of the backdrop for where we go today. Perfect love, it casts out fear. The Greek word there is dunamos, it's a dynamite in our English. In other words, when God's love is so good and it gets real in our lives, it's not just a fact on the page, but it's a factor in our experience, then it comes alive and that aliveness in us awakens us and drives out the fear that we're experiencing. Perfect love casts out fear. Today, um, I want to focus us in on the subtitle of our sermon series, Fear in an Age of Anxiety. I want us to hone in on that, because on, on the anxiety part, because worry is fear that hangs around. And I want to begin with a real central point here, and that is that all of us, to some extent, deal with worry. This is one of those sermons that you can't say, not me. All right? So don't say it. Don't, do not say, not me. To turn to somebody and say, I can't say, not me. You just said it, but you can't say it actually alone, not me. Those are popular words. If you live in a family or you're single and you have roommates at an apartment or a house, the words not me are thrown around a lot. Have you noticed that? Who left the garage open? Not me. Who left the lights on? Not me. Who didn't put the tube back on the toothpaste? Not me. Who didn't put the milk back up? Who ate all the Oreos? Who took my phone charger? Not me. And those words are thrown around, right, to deflect our guilt. But today, as we talk about worry, truly, honestly, no one can say, not me. So let me say to you today, let me put it central. Jesus hates worry. He hates worry because of what it does to people. It makes us weak and timid and selfish and small. Jesus hates worry because of what it does to us. And what else does it do to us? It chokes joy. It kills dreams. It steals days. Worry beckons us to live in a future that we cannot control instead of living in the moment that we ought to enjoy. Can I say it today? Jesus hates worry. But Jesus loves worriers. If you are here today, and I think our tribe is many, and you suffer from acute anxiety, from chronic worry, from intense Uh, anxious struggles, if you are inflicted with regular panic attacks, can I tell you today that that can be for you at times a crushing enemy. But in that, you have a friend who is compassionate. And Jesus is that friend who hates worry, 
but he loves warriors. In this beautiful passage of scripture that we're about to put on the screen, not yet, and read together or as a congregation, you read along with me. Jesus asked a few questions. He asked many questions, but there are three that are sort of my favorite. He, he, he asked, and you can tell a lot by someone by the questions that they ask. And Jesus asked questions to dismantle false ideas, to probe into the depths of the human psyche, to open up the heart, and of course to produce love, to awaken love in, in people, in his followers, would-be followers. And Jesus asked some questions like, is, is not life more important than food? It, are you not more valuable than the birds can worry at a single hour to your life and Jesus asked these questions you'll see them in a couple of more Matthew chapter 6 and we're going to read verses I believe it's 25 through 34 let's roll therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them and not and you oh, I'm sorry are you not more more value than they and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan and why are you anxious about clothing consider the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin yet I tell you even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these but if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I want to pause for a moment. And that word, Father, we miss it in the Greek. We miss it when we're in church. I think we miss it when we're reading this verse alone. The, the Greek word indicates Daddy or Abba. In other words, Jesus is talking to a, a lot of religious people, to people who saw God in many ways as just way up there, like out of this world. And of course, God is sovereign and transcendent, and he is otherworldly. But Jesus is introducing this new idea into human hearts that God is intimate. He can be. He's close. He's personal. It's a daddy expression. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, here we go, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Though so, 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 so long ago, to people unlike us in some ways, Jesus pinpoints four concerns that we have. I delineate them with F's. Finances, food, fashion, and future. For finances... You and I are confronted with this. No matter what level that you're at currently, no matter what level, we have financial concerns, don't we? We say this often because it's true and you need to hear it that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. And Matthew in particular, one of the gospel narrators, he gives us a Jesus as king and a king has a kingdom. And here he presents like he does throughout the gospel of Matthew. Jesus calls us to live in a different kingdom. But in this temporal earthly kingdom, you and I, we're faced with these finances. Will I have enough to make it? Can I get these kids, these scoundrels through college? Will I be able to have something for my retirement or am I going to live on them? Food. For most of us, look, for most of us, this isn't the daily concern that it was to some of the peasant farmers in first century people in Palestine, but it is for some of us. 
And it is for a lot more people than we care to know. Our church is going to try through some financial resources that might be in some of your pockets to get a kitchen ready so that we can feed these neighborhood kids when they're not in school and they don't have food to eat. And you wouldn't believe some of the stories and statistics. But with this, with this is this idea, God, how much is too much? Will I have enough? There's a woman in our small group who several months ago talked about shopping, I believe, at McDade's one day just here across the parking lot. And she noticed that a lady in front of her, if I have the story right, had a calculator. And in the calculator, she was punching numbers to make sure that when she got up there, she had enough money to pay for her groceries. Now, I don't want to divide us into class here, but I just want to ask you, when's the last time you had to do that? When's the last time you had to bring a calculator to make sure you didn't get up there and fall short and be embarrassed and have to bring something back? For a lot of us who have three squares a day and then some food, our food concerns are more like cholesterol and carbs and calories and such. But we have concerns and it worries us. In fashion, I mean, how much really is too much? There's a pastor friend of mine, man, what gumption one day. Some of you may have seen this. It blew up online one day. I think as the kids say, it went viral. But my pastor friend, a few states over, he was talking about what we have and how even those in an American congregation who are struggling financially uh, are rich compared to the world. You've heard some of those statistics. I'm not going to mention them at this time. But in the spirit of this, he was talking about his buddy who's the Tom's shoe guy. And he was talking about how important shoes are in third world countries and in urban areas. And he talked about how important it is for children to have shoes and adults and families. And so he asked everyone that day, he challenged everybody that day to take off their shoes and bring them to the front of the church. And to leave. And when they left, they would be shoeless. There was probably some stank up in that church. But they left shoeless, right? And he wanted them to walk across the asphalt or the gravel, the grass, sidewalk, whatever. And go to their vehicles, right? They have donated their shoes. And they would think about that. They, you would leave church that day without your shoes, having to feel that and think about that and explain that. Not a bad idea, is it? You're, you're afraid to answer today. But there's our future. And that's a big one. A lot of us, we know the passage that I read. I, I get that. Sometimes I throw some familiar passages at you. It's really important. In Luke 14, 21, I bet you don't know this one. Jesus was talking to the disciples, and he was readying them for what lie ahead. And you know what he told them? Luke 14, 21, he said, Make up your minds beforehand that you will not worry. Okay? Make up your minds beforehand. Now, what he was about to do, he was about to foretell the future. Like some of you try that, you're not so good. Jesus was good, and he was telling them, man, you're going out as sheep among wolves. You're going to face hardship, and there's going to be famine and pestilence and war and drought and hardship and persecution. You're going to get jeered and flogged and chained and imprisoned. That's not a good day, right? And he said, make up your mind beforehand not to worry. Don't worry about the future. I've got this. And so Jesus, he hates worry. But Jesus, he loves warriors. So let me ask you a question. You can respond out loud if you'd like to. Welcome to. Um, is worry a sin? What's, what's your answer? I thought I'd spark a little controversy. I did this at the 930 service, right? This will, I'll be certain to get some emails on this one. Is worry a sin? 
Now think about, okay, we got some yeses, got, some, got a firm yes over there. Is worry a sin? Jesus said don't worry. And so if sin can be defined as missing the mark or not being obedient, then I think our brother, our people here are right. Worry is a sin. But I want to differentiate for a moment and follow this and hear the heart behind it. You and I, people out there and people right here, we sin by blatant black and white disregard of what we know God says, what we know will bring Him glory and also what is good in our lives. And so I know a lot of people, they're in this room, one of them's talking right now. There are times when we decide through greed and lust and deceit and pride to dishonor God, sin. But I don't know anybody that says, I want my heart and mind to be filled with panic, anxiety, and despair so that I can dishonor God. Are you with me? Are you with me? Jesus hates worry, but Jesus loves worriers. And a lot of us, a lot of us need to hear that today. So I want to set this passage, Matthew 6, against the backdrop of a philosophical reality. And it is this, two big points, you'll see them on the screen. The first of all is that, well, let me say this, we're, we're creatures, we're not the creator. And so I know a lot of times when I'm worried about something, I'm trying to take over that role of creator, of you know, micromanager of the universe. And God gently, most of the time, reminds me to resign from that role. That that's his role, and he's got it. But I'm just, and you are too, you're just a creature. And you are a creature, point number one, a creature who lives in time. You have a past, and you have a future. And stay with me here. You right now, you live at the intersection of your past and your future. What do we do with our past? You remember your past. Are you guys good at remembering things in your past? I was with our staff this week. We were in Atlanta riding around in a rental van. We went to LeaderCast Conference on Friday and had a couple of days, Wednesday to travel, Thursday just to have fun uh, as a team. And I learned pretty quickly that my staff team doesn't like a lot of the music I listen to. And, but I'm good and godly, and I pretend I like some of the staff, some of the music that Van Harden listens to anyway. But here's my gift. They can tell you this. I'm just bragging a little. you got to give me a brag every so often. But they're able to play a song, and if it's somewhere in the mainstream, certainly, Jeff, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, or today, I'm able to name the year that that song came out. And every, every time, right? And I nail it to the year, to the month. And here's what music does. I'm no John Mark, right? I can't stand up here and lead like that guy does. But I, I know some music, and when I hear a song, I remember it stirs up very vivid memories and associations and images, and it takes me back. I can tell you the year, the month, and the memory for me, where I was driving, what I was doing, who I was with. I remember that. And you know, some of you have other talents, and you can remember things that I cannot. Susan can tell you I don't remember the lyrics to the songs. It doesn't stop me from singing. But there are some things that you do well at remembering, some things I do. The Bible's funny about this word, remember. Ecclesiastes 12, young people, high school seniors going off to various colleges. It says to us, remember our creator in the days of our youth. That'd be good. Like, Don't squander your years. Don't waste your life in foolish living. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. You won't regret that. If you dial into him early at this stage in your life, you're not going to regret that. 
Remember God in the days of your youth. Jesus taught us this, remember this. We did it last Sunday at Fondren. We do it every final Sunday of every month. We come to the table. We observe the Lord's Supper. And you know the famous words of Jesus. He said, do this in remembrance of me. My body broken, my blood shed for you. Remember. Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 9 when a man puts his hand on the plow, don't look back. In other words, he's saying there's some things you need to forget. If a farmer is looking back, he's not plowing straight rows. Don't look back. Don't remember. Forget that. Look ahead. Paul said in Philippians 3, I am now forgetting the things that lie behind me so that I can press on toward maturity, the high calling that is in Christ. I'm forgetting and I'm remembering. The Bible tells you to remember. The Bible tells you to forget. Confused? I guess wisdom is knowing what to remember and what not to remember. And it can lead, it does lead, I believe, to our health and to our happiness. There's a past, and you remember the past. And here's the thing. If you're a note taker, this would be good to write this down. When you remember the past, it's either filled with gratitude or it's filled with regret. One writer that I was reading last night late in my office said that you can't say that a man, that a woman, is fully alive unless they're conscious of their treasures. What do you treasure? Are you aware of it? Can you look back and see what God has done? When you look in the past, are you filled with gratitude? Are you filled with regret? So just as we remember the past, what do we do with the future? What do you do with the future? You anticipate the future. And when you anticipate the future, you wonder what could be. The wedding that we did here yesterday was just a super beautiful, handsome couple, and they met at the state capitol. He won an election. She uh, did well, apparently, in a few job interviews, and through a mutual friend and what they would call divine intervention, they met, and they married here, right here, yesterday at 2 o'clock. Beautiful people, successful folks. You can tell they're going to do well. If I predicted their future, I would put two thumbs up. They grew up in different places. Both of them, I learned, were voted student body presidents at their respective high schools, and one most likely to succeed. Anybody win that most likely to succeed? Don't raise your hand. Don't, that, so much pride if you do that in church, right? I mean, come on. Um, I did not win most likely to succeed. Uh, I got, you know what I got? Most likely to be a clown, which is somewhat true. But most likely to what? Most likely to become a world traveler. Most likely to write a bestseller. Most likely to be a stand-up comedian. Most likely to be famous. Most likely to go to jail. Most likely, most likely, we play that game, don't we? Particularly at the, in the high school age. We look ahead and we say, what is likely to happen? And when you look to the future, you're either filled with hope or with fear. And so you take this, creatures who live in time, and I want to add to it. I want to add to this the reality that we are creatures who not just live in time, we are creatures who occupy space. And the two spaces that I want to point out to you today are this. There is your inner world, and then there is an outer world. Your inner world are your thoughts and feelings. I was talking to a psychologist this very week, and he said, you know, Robert, most people are pretty aware of their feelings. Now, some people just aren't self-aware at all, right? They're just not self-aware, and they need other people to point out things in their lives, right? But some people are not self-aware, but most of us are fairly tuned to our feelings, but my friend told me, hey, most of us have no clue about our thoughts. You know, Scripture tells us, 
Scripture tells us to take every thought captive. And you know what I'm finding out? That it's possible. And you're looking at somebody, man, my brain works fast. And so when my body stops, my brain races ahead. She goes right to sleep. It takes me a little while. It takes me a long time sometimes. And I've learned that up here can be like the wild, wild west, untamed. But I'm learning through his word that is alive and active and able to judge, discern the thoughts and intentions of my heart. And through his Holy Spirit who leads me to my thoughts and life and peace that I can begin to learn to take every thought captive. You can do that. We can do it. There's an inner world. And I would cite to you Philippians 4.7. You know Philippians 4.6 has been the most Googled verse of 2017. Don't worry about anything but pray about everything. That's the most popular verse in 2017. The one that people have plugged in the most. But the next verse of Philippians 4.7 says the peace of God It will guard your hearts and your minds. Your inner world is an unceasing flow of thoughts and ideas and feelings, but you can have it guarded with his peace. There's an outer world, that's animals and nature and objects, and oh, by the way, people. And everybody in the house knows John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that outer world. He loved the world and calls us to do the very same thing. So let's put it this way. At the end of the service, this will be our benediction today. When you put together the fact that we're creatures who live in time and occupy space, it is this thing that God has led me to meditate on very frequently over the last month in particular. Remember the past with gratitude. Anticipate the future with hope. Dwell in our minds with peace. and Engage the world with love. That may be worthy of a picture from your phone. So with this, with this call, Jesus tells us, he tells us about this world and all the things that can pull us and harm us, but he points us to the inside. Now hear me for a second. Some of us are extroverts, some of us are introverts. Do you know who you are? I hope you do. If you're an extrovert in my tribe, raise your hand if you would. Like you get energy being around people. Raise your hand high. Usually extroverts do. There you go. These are the people God loves most right there. Extra none. Not true at all. If you're an introvert, if you drive energy from solitude, you're a contemplative person, you like to be alone, raise your hand. These are people that are very reluctant. If you're an extrovert, just hold up the introvert's hand. They, they really struggle with this. They think I'm going to call them up front, identify them in somewhere. they got to go to a party or something and hang out with us later. But if you're an introvert, you derive energy from solitude. Look, there, there is a call in the Scripture to be introspective. You've heard Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, one of them said a long time ago in the Greco-Roman world, the unexamined life is not worth living. In other words, you need to stop. You need to think about the direction of your life and what's happening. Be introspective. But here's what all the experts are saying. That when you look inside and keep looking inside, you become about yourself. And that it can be so dark and so constricting. So Jesus wants us. And what he said so long ago is what the experts are finding true today. The people who look at the world, the people who have expansive hearts and minds, are the healthiest and the happiest. They're not just looking at themselves. Now look, Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. Know me. Help me know me when I am afraid. And the psalmist in Psalm 1914 said, Let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in my sight. It's important 
to look within, but you can't just keep looking within. And too much looking in is going to cause a lot of worry and a lot of fear. You need to get out there. You need to be with people. You need to engage the world. Move away from that worry and fear. So some of you, I just gave you a little gift. You're timid, but you need to hear it. So Jesus would tell us that life is lived. Did you see this in this passage? It's lived in the day, day to day. And so what regret will do to you is it will cause you to live in the past. And what fear can do to you is it could cause you to live in an uncertain future and try to control it. And what God calls us to do is to live right here. I was able this week to look someone square in the eyes, shoulder up, put my hands on their shoulders, and give them a compliment I've been wanting to give for a long time. And I told this person, do you know what I see in you? I see in you that when you're with people, you are present. Uniquely, fully present when you're with everybody. And you treat everybody the same. And I'm a lot older than you, but I want to be like you when I grow up. Do you know anybody? They stand out. They're not in the past with regrets. They're not worried about a future that they cannot control. They are in the moment. And can I tell you, that is Jesus. That's who he is. That's what he desires. And that's the gift that he gives for you and I to be in the moment. Do you know the psalm? I think it's Psalm 118 and verse 24. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. You know that? What does the next part say? If you say it, let's say it. If you know the next part, say it with me, okay? This is the day the Lord has made. Very good, 11 o'clock. Not as good as the 930, but it was good. Let us rejoice because what? This is the day. And so it's easy. Look, no doubt. It's easy for many of us to be here today and to say, to think this thing. You're probably not going to say it, but you think this thing. Man, I'm not having a good day. In fact, not only is this not a good day, it's not a good season in my life. I don't, I don't like my life. And I, I wonder what it would take for you to be able to say, even if, if faith has to get out in front of your feelings, what would it take for you to be able to say, this is the day the Lord has made. And in this day, I will rejoice and I'll be glad in it. I want to tell you a true story of a friend of mine. Um, I'm going to call him Keith because that's his name. <laughs> Keith, Keith, was, Keith fought cancer. He got a diagnosis. And he didn't know how long he would have. And he fought a battle for a long time, and chemo and such. And the news got good. Keith would tell you that prayers were answered and health was brought into his life. And he got through this tough, tough stage. And he went back for a routine checkup. He got a lab report from a lab technician. And they told him that the cancer is back. And what I want you to know about Keith is Keith's a doctor. And so he knew. He knew that this was a death, a death sentence, that he wouldn't have long to live. And hours later, it was the next morning, the hospital called. The lab technician had switched the results, and Keith did not have cancer. They asked him, being, him being a doctor, they said, do you want to come up here and we'll call in the technician and you can yell at them? And Keith said, I'm not going to yell at him. I want to kiss him. Now look, he knew. He knew that he had another day. It wasn't his time to die yet, that he had children that he would get to raise. He had a wife that he could love. He had a life that he could live. And what happened to Keith's outer world? 
He didn't win the lottery. He didn't inherit a fortune. He didn't get a promotion. He didn't buy a new house. He didn't become famous. What happened to him? He realized that he's got another day to live and likely some days after that. And probably those days in some ways would be spent like the other days that he lived. But he was awakened to appreciate his life and to say this is the day that God has made. And I'm going to rejoice in it. My friend has joy. It's easy also to say, same stuff, boredom and monotony. I drive the same car, same old car. I work at the same old place. I kiss the same old spouse. And I want to say to you today, that there's somebody else in this world that would love to drive your old car and work at your old job and maybe even kiss your old spouse. And if you're not married, you don't have a job, and you don't have a car, I just want to say to you, still it is true. Still it is true. There's a lot of people, hear me fonder in church, this may be worth the trip. There's a lot of people in this world that if they entered into your place, it would be the best day of their life. Do you believe that? It's true. Like it's really, really true. This is the day. And though I can be riddled with fear and anxiety, and I can, I can have regrets about tomorrow and be filled with fear of the future that I cannot control, the space that I occupy, the life and time that I'm in, it is this moment. It is today. You guys probably know the serenity prayer it's not in the bible but it's really beautiful you know this prayer i'm kind of going extemporaneous here so help me if you know what i might need it but god grant me what the serenity to accept what i cannot change the courage to change what i can and the wisdom to know the difference the longer version of that says this living one day at a time enjoying one moment at a time accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. So on point, I want to say to you that some people I know that struggle with this fear and this worry and these panic attacks, look, I want to give you a big hug today and tell you you're some of the most courageous people that I know. And it can take you to a place, a place where you can find Him, unlike any other place, that your successes, your achievements and accomplishments and accolades can give to you this hardship. I've been reading a new writer. He, he coined a phrase called the, put it up if you would, the redemptive twist. I love both of those words. The redemptive twist. In other words, twist, you get that. It's not what you think. Like you're living right now and you don't know what's coming. And, but if whatever's hard in you right now, you're thinking, man, it's just hard. It's going to get harder and you're getting older. And there's, you know, it's just God can't redeem it. Well, he can. He can. He can and he does. And it's a twist. It's a twist. Here's the big idea. The most painful seasons we go through end up being the ones in which we are most thankful. Anybody, can anybody say that today? If you can, say, let's go old school. Say amen if you, if, you, if you know this to be true in life. Do you know it? 
the most painful seasons we go through end up being the ones in which we are most thankful. This is the day. What would it take for you to get to a place? Because here's what we think about anxiety. I will stop being anxious if all these bad things will stop happening. So I, hold, I don't want you to miss this. We did this at the earlier service today. Jesus promises us this. You will have trouble. You will have trouble today. Do you believe that? Say, say, say it out loud. Say, trouble today. And you will have trouble tomorrow. Say it out loud. Trouble tomorrow. Now look at the person next to you. Look at somebody and say, trouble today and trouble tomorrow. Do that if you would. Trouble today and trouble tomorrow. Man, it's coming. It's coming. And for some of us, this is another level of real. Some of you are in a fight. There's a twist. And that's what Jesus does. And I'll tell you, I'm telling you today, man, I'm buying what I'm selling. Because I see him working. I see him working in my life, and I see him working in some of you. And I, man, I'm down with the redemptive twist. You got to wait on the twist. But I'm down with it. And so as we close today, close this part of our service, I want to remind you that Jesus hates worry. And he hates worry because of what it does to people. It chokes joy, kills dreams, it steals days. It beckons you to live in a future that you cannot control. And miss the joy that you can get in this moment. So, real quick. Jesus taught us when the disciples said teach us to pray y'all know what he said like Fondren's filled with people from different denominations right and almost all of us know the Lord's prayer he said hey pray this our father who art in heaven we won't quote it all but help me on this part give us this day our the USDA United States Department of Agriculture they have some statistics out there that I've just marveled at in preparation for this sermon Um, Americans in a year consume 1,996 pounds of food. Might as well say 2,000. I'm sure it is in Mississippi. And if you if you were to go into a room, a giant room, which probably should be a warehouse, you would see 42,000 pounds of dairy, 14,000 pounds of beef and poultry, and 7,000 pounds of butter and fat. Now what if we were to consume all of that at once. Like all the food that you're going to eat in your, the rest of your life. Stay with me for a second. Silly, I know. But if you were to eat all, if you were to eat in a moment all the food that you're going to eat for the rest of your life, where would that put you? You would be overwhelmed. You would not be able to do it. Stay with me. So what's the secret, Americans? What's our secret for each of us, on average, consuming 70,000 tons of food. The secret is that you eat some every day. How can you get through the frustration, the fear, the worry, the panic attacks, the anxiety, the despair that you feel, the sense of loss? One day, one day at a time.
And Jesus said, trouble today, trouble tomorrow, but let tomorrow be tomorrow. And I want to say that to you today. You really need to let tomorrow be tomorrow. Would you stand? And I want to say a prayer over.